Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horback. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandace.com where you can sign up for our Patreon account, or you can click that little link that says buy me coffee. Both things help me tremendously, like seriously, a dollar helps. The benefit of being a Patreon is you get early access to episodes, you get shout outs, we're going to eventually start doing some live AMAs, so you do get a lot for your contribution there. But again, seriously any of that helps or simply leave a review. All of those things are really important, especially when I'm just getting started. This week, I'm really excited to introduce Aubrey Huff. I mean, he doesn't really need an introduction. He's a two-time MLB World Series winner. He's a father, a patriot, a very opinionated tweeter. Without further ado, Aubrey Huff. Hello, hello. Hello. How's it going? Is it Candace or Ava or Eva? Candace, yeah. Okay. It's always so weird because you don't know. Everyone's like, well, which one do I call you by? And like most performers hate like acknowledging that the real them is the actual person. So for me, it's like weird to address the fictitious person. Yeah, that's a cool little studio you got there. Thanks. Yeah. All uh, Amazon soundproofing. (laughs) There you go. There you go. I I, try, I was doing a podcast for a little bit and I just, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I was listening to a bunch of your episodes and then I noticed it just kind of stopped. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, I don't know. I thought I would enjoy it. I never really liked the media when I played. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, yeah, it was okay for a time. It was, I was trying to figure, did my toes into different things and see if I'd enjoy it. And it just wasn't for me. No, I'm just sticking to Twitter for now. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. I like being the guest. I don't like hosting, right? Like, I don't like doing the work. I totally understand. It's so much easier being a guest. Anytime I've been on someone else's podcast, there's way less stress. And I feel like they tend to go in the same direction. So it's just easy. And then when you're hosting, especially if you haven't met the person, then you're like, well, what if there's this awkward silence? And then what if I forget like the points that I was trying to make? And it's a lot more nerve wracking. Especially on the Zoom things right now, it's all. I like it one on one when you're face to face. It's a lot easier. You can kind of play off each other a little bit better. The energy's better. I've only done one one on one because I started this whole thing in like the pandemic, so it was definitely a lot better. Like you just like pick off each other's energy, and it's a lot less awkward for sure. So what's uh, what's the dynamic of the show? Can I cuss out? What's it? What's the yeah deal? for sure anything. Okay. I um I was listening to another podcast with like this other guy I follow, and they kept bleeping him out, and I was like, what's the point? It's a podcast, right? Like yeah. if you're getting offended by a swear word, I feel like you just shouldn't leave the house. <laughs> no, right? there's a lot. There's a lot of people that shouldn't leave the house anymore. So that's the good thing about this pandemic, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So it's like total free for all. Whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to say, it, it's. Totally, like no filter, none of that stuff. Okay, Candace. Let's. Uh, so my boys wake up at around nine. I got a tutor coming. That's okay. Like, so if we can keep it around then, and then I got homeschooling. Perfect. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so I wanted to start off a little bit with your baseball career, and you've been kind of open about you struggling with depression after you quit playing or stopped playing. I think that with a lot of high performers, they have that similar struggle, right? So it's almost like the higher the high, the lower the low. And you have all of these neurochemicals when you're playing, like all of these dopamine spikes and serotonin spikes, and you're just just experiencing life to a degree that a lot of people won't. So when you stop having that exposure and you come down to like, 
I guess, like real world expectations. Like, how did you self correct so that you didn't stay in this place of like depletion, if you will? Yeah, I don't. I don't think a lot of people really realize how difficult it is to transition as a professional athlete. I played 13 years, and and basically every night, you know, especially at the end of my career, the last three years of my career, especially, I I was in the playoffs twice mm-hmm. and won the World Series in 2010 and 12. So you're in on national television. You got 40,000 people screaming at you. You're on first class flights. You got beautiful servers serving you beer and first class meals on the flights. You got a five star restaurant. Everywhere you go, things are free. I mean, you're you're a rock star. You're a celebrity. And, you know, it just feels like uh, everything's catered for you. It's a unicorn life. It's absolutely amazing. And then when it stops, Candace, it stops like that. There's no, like, gradual decline. It just, it's over like mm-hmm. that. And and so to get that adrenaline rush, that that, that high, that, that spoiled lifestyle, if you will, it just doesn't exist in the real world. And... I feel like whenever I got out of baseball, I was still chasing that, trying to find out how I'm going to make uh, $500,000 every two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. How am I going to, to replace that 40,000 people screaming at me or walk into a restaurant where everybody notices you? That doesn't happen anymore. Nobody gives a fuck anymore, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it took me a while. Honestly, it took a couple of years where I struggled mightily with depression. Just what's my identity? You know, if I'm not Aubrey Huff, the baseball player, who am I? Mm-hmm. What's my purpose? You know, and and I and at the time, well, I still do. I had two boys, and I wasn't thinking in this way because my whole life I was a baseball player. How do I navigate through this? And then one day I realized, okay, either a I'm going to have to kill myself because I can't keep living like this, or I'm going to have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it, there was a point. It was around 2014, two years after I retired. Every day I was going through daily depression, crying myself to sleep at night, a daily panic attack that would come almost almost daily. So I was battling both of them at the same time. And it was five o'clock, two years after I retired. I'm having dinner. I'm making dinner with my ex-wife at the time. I'm cutting up a vegetable. She's cooking. My kids are playing Legos in the living room floor. And I'm having a panic attack again. And I told my ex, I said, hey, I got to go to the closet and do my thing, whatever. Usually go pop a Xanax. This time I didn't pop a Xanax. Go to my closet. I hit my knees and I just start crying. I just, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm just, I'm over it. And I'm looking at this full length mirror. At the time I had like a wife beater on, right? I had the tattoos on. So I got these tattoos and the goatee and shaved head. And I look like this badass motherfucker. Mm-hmm. But deep down, I was just, I hated who I was. I hated what had happened in my life and what I've lost. And in that moment, I just said, fuck it, I'm done. And I just typed in a little code in my safe, pulled out a 357 Magnum, pulled the hammer back, and I put it against my temple, looking at myself in the mirror on my wow. knees in my, in my closet. All of a sudden, there was just like this flash that went through my mind of my dad. And my dad, years earlier, when I was six years old, was murdered by a 357 Magnum when I was a kid. Wow! So it was like, it was like full circle, like this mm-hmm. flash of like, wow, what the, I don't even know where it came from. Mm-hmm. And so I put the gun down, started crying. I started yelling like in a closet at, at God, you know, and because I grew up in Texas as a, as a Christian, but I just didn't understand why I couldn't be happy. And then it just kind of after after like a hissy fit, like a teenager yelling at his father, you know, that's what I was doing in my closet. And it just kind of came to me that you've been identifying yourself as a baseball player these last two years. You're no longer a baseball player. You are a husband and a father 
be that. You are blessed. You got everything you've ever wanted. You got 99% of the things that every man's ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Just now enjoy it. And it was in that moment where I just kind of really started appreciating what I have instead of what I lost. And it, that changed everything. And it was just a mindset, a mind shift. And that experience kind of opened me up to it. Wow. That is a very powerful story. There's like a couple of places I want to go with that. So I always say that like when you identify yourself by like these external factors, especially when it's your career, and especially if that career tends to be like celebrity or public figure, that that can be very problematic because the shelf life of all of that is so little, right? Compared to almost any other industry, like you are, you have an expiration date. So if you put too much emphasis on this thing that's finite, like what do you do when it's gone, right? And it's understandable that you get anxious or panic attacks or depression because that's how you've identified. So I think it's really important to kind of like dig down and find out who you actually are, but like outside of these things and like finding faith and finding family, like those are really great pillars versus something that you know is going to go away. So it's kind of similar with me, but in a different aspect, right? So I did porn for 10 years and so many- Oh, you did? I didn't didn't know that. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I constantly get put into this box where people want to stereotype me and identify me as that. And for a long time that like I started getting anxious like to the point where I started getting like social anxiety and I've never had that before, but I would walk into a room and I would be like, everyone knows what I do. Like they recognize me, they're judging me. They think I'm this terrible person. Am I this terrible person? And all of this like crazy inner dialogue that took a really long time to kind of get over. But I was listening to Giselle Bunchen talk, and she's obviously like this wildly successful supermodel that now spends a lot of her time on her platforms talking about spirituality and like conservation and all of that. And everyone's like, who is she? She's just a dumb supermodel. And she's like, I'm not a supermodel. That's just something that I did. Right. So that's how I started to reframe it as well as like, I'm not that. That's just something that I did. So I think it's so important for people to really like find out who they are. Would you say like in that moment, was it almost like an instant, like you kind of like knew that you had to start looking at things with gratitude or was there like a process? You know, honestly, the minute I walked out of that closet, I had like basically stayed in there for like an hour, hour and a half yelling, crying. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, I think as a guy, a lot of men, especially ex-athletes were taught to, to be warriors out there, not to let any emotion in and kind of put this wall up. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned. And it even went into my home life, right? Where you just have this wall of emotion you keep in bottled up, whatever's bothering you, you just don't show any emotion. And I'd done that my whole life. And in that two hours, I think I let all that emotion out. It was almost like I, I was a balloon ready to pop. Mm-hmm. And the minute I walked out of that closet, I felt way better, way looser and felt like I knew what I needed to do. And I knew what I wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And what I wanted was nothing. I didn't need anything, right? And I was trying to replace a life that is hard to replace with mm-hmm. something else that I didn't know what to do. Like, mm-hmm. So I just said, you know what? I'll never have to work again. I've made plenty of money. I was begging for this all these years I was playing mid-summers when I was dying on these six-hour road trips. Now I'm here. Let's enjoy it. And it was literally a mindset, like a shift in that moment. And the next morning I woke up and I just felt at peace, right? It was weird. Now, it's not to say that I didn't still experience some discontentment. I definitely had some days, more often than not, that 
probably within the next six months after that, where I was just kind of like fighting that old self and that old mm-hmm. way of thinking, mm-hmm. but it didn't control my life anymore. The panic attacks started getting less and less to the point where they just kind of dissipated over the next six months. And I started weaning off my Xanax over that course of that six months. So it was a mindset in that moment immediately that they got me excited. Mm-hmm. And that, and that gave me that, uh, cause I, you can't do anything. I don't think unless you make a decision and you get excited about it. If you just say, yeah, I think I'll give this a try. You'll never make it. You got to be excited about it. You got to make the decision. And I did in that moment out of that closet and I'm going to change my life, my way of thinking. And, you know, through those next six months, I just, every day got better and better and better. You know, I think that's one thing that everybody reaches out to me. Hey, how'd you get over the anxiety and depression? And did it happen overnight? And I think everybody in this quick fix, social media, news driven world where everything wants information, everybody wants information quickly, mm-hmm. things done for them quickly, a quick pill. I hate to say this to people, but it did take me a little time. It may be different for others, but it's a decision. You got to change your mindset. You got to figure out what's really going on in your head because you just can't mask it with pills, right? You got to figure out what's really triggering you to think the way you think. And then once you figure that out, like for me, it was still identifying myself as an ex-baseball player when there was no evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once I f- stopped doing that and then decided that I was just going to be the best dad, husband I could be. And well, I'm divorced now. So, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I'm still, uh, for me, my boys are everything. And my message of getting all this out here or talking about all this thing, all this stuff is, I think helping a lot of people. And that's another thing that I think people need to realize is one of the biggest things for me is talking about it. The more you talk about your anxiety and your depression and share it with others, it's scary at first. And it may even make you panic a little bit more than you would normally. Mm-hmm. But the more you talk about it with other people, the more you talk about it with people who are struggling, the more you heal. And when I do these on podcasts, I got to tell you, Candace first started talking about this on, on podcasts even. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would have to like call a timeout and be like, I can't even get through that story myself in the closet with a gun to my head without having to take a quick time out because I was hyperventilating just talking about it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so at ease talking about it on stage with kids, um, you know, wherever I go. Sometimes I do some public speaking, obviously not of late with the pandemic. I hate that word pandemic. I know. That's <laughs> I know. stupid. That's what the media has done to us, right? With this bullshit fake virus out there. And that's what I call it. But yeah, so the more I've talked about, it, the more I've been honest with myself, the easier it is. Yeah, I think that's really powerful because like you said, like you are like this very masculine man, right? Like you've, you were a professional, <laughs> professional baseball player. You've got like the beard, the tattoos, all of this. And then here you are talking about your emotions and, you know, advocating to talk to other people about your emotions. And I think there's such like a huge misconception that if you are this masculine man, you're not allowed to talk about your feelings. And I think we need to kind of get rid of that garbage because it's doing a lot of harm. Like men suffer the most when it comes to suicide rates, right? We don't talk about that. And you're seeing like a spike in depression with young boys. And there's a lot of reasons why we're seeing that. We're not fixing it by saying like, you can still be masculine and have emotions. Like those things don't have to like oppose one another. So I guess what's your advice for someone who's like, I'm too manly to talk about being sad. Like, I'm sure you probably have some of those messages or like DMs that are like secretive. Like what advice do you give someone who thinks that those things can't coexist? Well, I know they're lying to themselves. First <laughs> off, I, the, these people, that uh, the men that are coming at me, Oh, I don't need all that emotional nonsense. I know deep down, probably it's, if it's not happening now at some point it will, well, you'll be crying yourself to sleep at night. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have somebody to talk to. You can't keep all that stuff bottled in. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're at the top of your profession and as a CEO in, in, in the sports arena, whatever it is you do, I don't care how many, if you're the biggest hunter in your group out in Texas with the biggest beard and drink the most Bud Lights, I don't, I don't care. Eventually, <laughs> it's going to catch up to you unless, you unless you get in touch with your emotions. And I know that sounds like, you know, in this day and age where, you know, I think men are under attack more than anything. I, I mean, agree. You know, I think it's starting with our school system with our young boys. You know, I feel like the gender roles are trying to be reversed in today's age, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where society is trying to make men women and women men. And it's confusing. And I think it confuses men more than anything. I got a lot of thoughts on this. But I think as kids, especially as a father of two young boys, I've, I've kind of, my eyes are open to what's happening in, mm-hmm. in the world. I mean, the schools are teaching these progressive ideals. You know, there's an attack on our young boys and and girls in society, teaching them that, you know, at the age of four or five, they can choose their own gender. What planet are we on? You know, what kind of confusion is that? I don't care if you want to be bisexual, if you want to be transgender, you want to live your life the way you want to live your life when you're 18 years old, make that decision. You go nuts. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But when you start trying to indoctrinate our kids at such a young age, that's where I fucking draw the line. It pisses me off. You know, when that starts in schools, you know, as young boys, like I was a rambunctious young kid. And whenever I was in school, I, I was in detention all the time. And, you know, teachers thought there was something wrong with me and give him some Ritalin, make him calm down. My mom wouldn't do it. Oh, good and, for her. Yeah. And there's a lot of boys out there. And boys are rough. They're wild. You know, it's like that Gillette commercial. You saw that Gillette commercial with the boys wrestling in the yard and the guys are barbecuing. No guys are, you know, like this is a side. They're supposed to wrestle, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're confusing young boys. And when they become men now, and that's why I think we see all these kids now that are 18 to 25 year old kids that are begging for free college. They're hitting the streets, rioting, protesting because they've been given everything their whole life been mm-hmm. told they're special. They're the participation trophy generation. I call them Candace where, mm-hmm. you know, they've never had to earn anything. They get a trophy for third, third place. Right now they're in the real world. They've realized it doesn't work that way. You have to actually earn your first place spot. And now they're pissed and now they're on the streets and they're easily manipulated by what's going on and what they're told to do. So, there's just not a lot of strong men raised in an blame society. And I blame a lot of parenting as well to not be able to see this. Yeah, it's tough because you do get some parents that maybe are working so much that they're not able to be as involved or that they maybe naively trust the school system to be taking care of their kids as they would take care of their kids. So they're not asking the questions when the kid comes home, like, what did you learn today? Like, tell me what teacher so-and-so said about this, right? And just like really double checking everything. I was listening to someone's podcast, or maybe it was in a book, but they were talking about like a lot of the best all boys schools like in the world, they don't even have like chairs. They don't have chairs for the boys because when they're younger, because they don't expect a boy to be able to think and sit at the same time is what they're saying. So like they understand these biological differences and rather than like punish a boy for being a boy, they say, you know, we expect you to be a little bit crazy and rambunctious. And if you want to run around the class, it's fine. Get it out. We also have to learn these things. So I was reading something that said that you weren't like ever into politics or really voicing your opinion too much. Like while you were in baseball, would you say that? having your boys like got you more involved in these like social topics and made you want to use your platform to spread what you think is the right way to go? One billion percent. Like Mm -hmm. when I played baseball, actually, Candace, I didn't, 
I didn't even know who was president. Didn't care. <laughs> didn't care. I was hitting baseballs. I figured hitting a 2-0 slider with 40,000 people booing me, handling the media people all the time was enough to worry about. I didn't need to worry about politics. Honestly, did not care. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many people in this world make an excuse about who's president for their life sucking. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. I played 13 years. I, ha- I played through multiple presidents. Mm-hmm. And, and not one time did I know who was president. All I knew, I was making bank. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was hitting bombs and cashing checks. Didn't care who the president <laughs> was, right? So uh-huh. I hate when people blame the their situation on the government or, or, or presidents. You know, right now, even if as I'm a Trump supporter, as you know, mm-hmm. if Trump doesn't pull this out and Biden is, in fact, our president, I get people in my messages all the time. Ha ha, Biden's your president. I'm like, so what, motherfucker? Guess what? I'm still rich. I don't care. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, so that was one thing that, you know, and I didn't want the distractions of politics being an athlete. You see all these social justice warrior athletes now and they lose half their fan base, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, they're, you know, because, you know, they're going to divide them. Most fans want to come to the game to see athletes play. Mm-hmm. They want to be distracted from the outside world, from the politics. They want to come to the stadium to watch athletes play sports. That's mm-hmm. what they're paid to do. And then when they hear their favorite athlete spew social justice warrior stances like LeBron James and all these idiots, you're just like, I don't want to hear it. As an athlete, I knew that. And playing in liberal San Francisco for three years out of my last, you know, my career, I knew that if I came out as a conservative guy, and at the time, Trump wasn't even close to being president. It was 2010 through 12. Mm. But, you know, I was a conservative and I had strong views. I could never come out in San Francisco and say I'm a conservative guy for them. They'd hate me. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of left that. And I wasn't very heavy into social media and never did, did any of that stuff. And then once I retired and I kind of got through all my issues and I had my boys and I started watching what's going on around the world and just kind of clueing out. I started to become an adult, like trying to see what's happening for my kids' futures. If I was single, well, I am single, but if I had no kids, mm-hmm. I'd be down out in the mountains in a van down by the river, like old Chris Farley said back in Saturday Night Live, just mm-hmm. watching the world burn. Wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't care. But I have two boys and I have to be aware of what's going on in the world in society, what, what, what society is trying to do for our children, boys and girls alike. And I think it's most, uh, you know, it's, it, I think it's more of a, an attack on young boys, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. And it's pissed me off. It's raised me. It's raised awareness for me. And it's been a, you know, a pretty big part of what I've been doing on Twitter and Instagram and things of that nature, which, oddly enough, I'm censored like a son of a bitch right now. Oh, are you? Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Both both my Twitter and my Instagram is, I may as well not even be posting right now. Really? That's how you you know you're telling the truth. See, you're, I feel like your engagement's pretty solid. I would say like comparatively, I was like looking at your account and a couple other like comparable ones and mine is like so throttled and it got throttled when I started like reposting certain conservatives and like voicing my conservative thoughts. And then all of a sudden I just saw my engagement tank. And I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. Like it doesn't make sense. So I'm like, I'd maybe just like take a break and then like, hopefully that goes away or my Instagram's terrible right now. I mean, it's worse than my Twitter. My, are you on following me on Instagram? I don't know. I know. No, I was going to actually do that in the car because I remember you mentioned your handle on one of your episodes. So, uh, so on my, I have a verified blue check mark on my Instagram, right? And you Mm -hmm. cannot find my account unless you type in my username all the way to the very last letter. And, oh, really? And even then, it's the very bottom blue check mark of all 
all choices for my name. It's unbelievable. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm scrolling right now and it's, if, if I don't even type, see you. Type in Aubrey Huff. You won't even see it. Yeah. You're not there. So you have to put in Huff Daddy 76. And even when you put Huff Daddy 7, it still didn't come up until you put the 6. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Holy cow. You're not, you're not joking. Yeah. There you go. Uh-huh. And it's, the very, it's like the very bottom, isn't it? Yep. Well, yep. I'll just give you a follow. There you go. There you go. And it's <laughs> fine. I mean, my posts, I was getting probably on my Instagram 50,000, 60,000 likes on each post with 500 to 1,000 comments now. 2,000, 3,000 likes with maybe 30 comments. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Within the last month, it's just happened. Oh, man. Yeah, it's not yeah. fair. It's really not fair because I feel like that's when we all learn who we are and what we believe is when we're challenged. And if you just live in this like echo chamber of everyone saying like this is the only way to think, you can't grow or find yourself. And I think that's why you see so many people that are unhappy is because they don't they haven't done any of that work and they haven't been challenged. Like I'm a huge, obviously pro American. I'm a guy from Texas, right? I believe in the Second Amendment. I mm-hmm. believe in the First Amendment. I think what's happening more than the, the biggest fight we have on our hands right now is the the fight for our First Amendment rights. You know, I, I, uh, the freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. The, the world is just a, gosh. Being a guy in the locker room, you know, all these years, mm-hmm. and the language flows freely. Right? It's mm-hmm. just, needless to say. Mm-hmm. And the world has become so sensitive, so soft, so pussified. It's, it's the, this political correct nonsense is just killing me. And we are, as a society, placating to all these people that it's a small percentage of society that gets offended by everything. Mm-hmm. And, and we're stepping aside and appeasing these people. Like, fuck them. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to do that. So I tell my boys, if you have a thought, if you have an opinion... Even if it's against a teacher, especially against a teacher in today's <laughs> world, you can listen to your teachers at school when it comes to, you know, science or math or, you know, all these things that they're teaching. But mm-hmm. when it comes to them talking about their opinions and their theories on life, I want it to be like that Charlie Brown episodes, right? Where the teacher's like, wah, 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 wah. Where it goes one ear mm-hmm. out the other. Because mm-hmm. I want them to think for themselves. I don't want my kids to necessarily be Republicans or Democrats or believe what I believe in. Mm -hmm. I want them to have the freedom to choose for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what we've lost in in this country, the freedom to choose for ourselves and Mm -hmm. our first amendment rights. And, and it's a scary place, Candace, where we're living right now. And I don't think the society really understands what's happening. We've been taking all these things away over the last eight months. One thing Every like two or three weeks, it's just mm-hmm. been pumped into our brains. It's been slowly manipulated into us to now that we're just as a society like sheep. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just, okay, it's tyranny. We don't even see it. Most people. Most people. Yeah. I remember like one of your tweets, I think it was like today or yesterday. And you're like, just so you know, in a couple of months, it's, it'll hit the one year mark for the two weeks to slow the spread. I'm like how... Isn't anyone more outraged? So my husband owns a couple of restaurants and both of those are obviously getting hit pretty hard. But thankfully in North Carolina, it's not as restrictive as say like, you know, LA specifically. But if you spent the last decade of your life building a company and then the government just says you can't open, I don't understand how people aren't more infuriated. Like if it got down to that level of lockdown in North Carolina, I promise you we'll stay we're staying open, right? We're not going to tell, like, let our governor tell us that we have to close our doors. Like, how does that make sense? Like, that's not American. But for some reason, we have, like, so many people that are just so agreeable and they just want to comply, comply, comply. And I'm like, 
you have to ask why. Like none of this makes sense. Like I just reposted this video of this woman who she's now not even allowed to do outdoor dining in California. And right in the same parking lot, they have tents set up for production crew. And that's allowed. Yeah. So Candace, I live here in San Diego. I'm, I'm two hours south of LA. Mm-hmm. Gover- governor Newsom's, you know, that's, that's our governor. Mm-hmm. The guy's complete dictator. What a joke this fucking guy is. I can't even tell you how bad it, there's, there's a very few people out there that I would walk down the street and want to just, and he's one of them. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the one thing that drives me absolute bad shit crazy is, is this, are these small business owners? They bitch, 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 and complain about, their business is about to be shut down, yet they follow every mandate to a T. Like anybody comes into their store or the rest, you know, please make sure you have your mask over your nose all the way till you walk into the restaurant and then sit down. Then you can take it off, sir. And they're always bugging you with the mask nonsense and all these little mandates and all these things. And then when they're ordered to shut down, they do it immediately. Yet they bitch, bitch, mm-hmm. bitch. Okay. I understand the first time it happened. Okay, everybody's shutting down. I give you a pass on that. Nobody knew what was going on. I feel bad for you. Mm-hmm. Now, this, now, the second time this is coming around and you continue to listen to these dictator, ty- tyrannical governors mm-hmm. and they defy their own orders, yet you have to shut down and you do and you listen to them, I no longer feel bad for you. You deserve what's coming to you. So you don't have a spine. You can't breathe it for yourself. And people are like, well, Aubrey, that's very insistent of you to say, because what if they have to pay a fine? Would you rather pay the fine or go bankrupt and lose your business? And to me, it's unconstitutional for them to find you. Yeah, I was going to ask. So like, what's the deal with the fines? Because I know there's one gym in Jersey specifically that's been getting like a lot of press. And I want to say it was like 4000 a day or something that they're getting fines. Ian, Ian Smith. I had him on my podcast when I had my podcast on. So we're buddies, right? We're boys. Mm-hmm. We keep in touch all the time. So he's Ian Smith. He's got a gym up in Jersey. He's been spitting in Gover- Governor Murphy's face over the last eight months, just staying open, just giving him the proverbial middle finger, right? Mm-hmm. And Governor Murphy got to the point where I think he even got arrested, taken to jail for overnight. And he was bailed out, obviously. He's got a GoFundMe for all his lawyer's fees. I think it's up to like 400 something thousand now. Wow. And he's getting fined. He's been on Tucker Carlson like four times. Big beard guy. Yeah. Um, I think he's getting fined like, I think $19,000 a day or Holy something. Holy cow. Like right. Just, and, and so he's not paying it. It's just t- tallying up, tallying up. It's literally unconstitutional for the government to fine you for keeping your business open. So mm-hmm. any of these fines that they give you, just mm-hmm. wipe your ass with it. That's the way mm-hmm. I look at it. Yeah, that's what I've heard too, is that what, like at the end of this, if you do take it to the courts, that it's just going to get knocked down. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just going to cost you a lawyer fee, right? Mm-hmm. Just get yourself, and I, I would assume most lawyers are, are probably going to not really hammer home on this, you know, and kill you with the fees. I mean, I think it's going to be so, there's going to be so many people battling these fines. It's going to be overwhelming for the courts. They're going to toss it out. There's no way that they're going to be able to uphold this stuff. Mm -hmm. And what what I, what I am seeing out here in California and and the media is not showing that you Mm -hmm. won't see on the media is a lot of businesses are fighting back and saying, screw you. And they're staying open. But you notice the media don't show that because they don't want people to be encouraged and emboldened. Right. So they want to keep people in fear that everybody's doing it. No, not in fact, here in Southern California, most businesses are still open. There's most restaurants are still open. They're still eating outside. A lot of them are still just doing takeout, but I think people are just like over it. And to be honest with you, what cops are going to enforce this stuff? Most cops aren't. 
because most of these are democratically held cities where they wanted to fund the police. Right. Most, cops, most cops get it. Most men in uniform, whether it be military, firemen, cops, et cetera, athletes, I'd say vastly 80% plus are conservative. So they're not gonna they're not gonna listen to this bullshit either. So why do you think that is? Because I agree. I would say like definitely most military and most law enforcement tend to be conservative. So do you think it's just because they tend to be more constitutionally conservative or why where is that correlation? I think it's because most most of the people that are, you know, pro their military, their country, the country boys are, you know, <laughs> grow in the country. And that's typically, you know, you grow up loving God and country and uh, you're taught the value of hard work. Most you know, athletes, et cetera, you know, we're capitalists. You can't mm -hmm. be a liberal and be a capitalist. So mm -hmm. most athletes and entertainers want to keep their money, which baffles me why Hollywood, so many people are liberal. I'm like, I don't get that either. I'm like, do you want right. to just light it on fire? <laughs> right, right. Point? Which leads me to believe they're getting, they don't, these are the people that talk about it, but they don't have to pay their taxes. I guarantee mm -hmm. it. They're probably getting kickbacks, especially the big followers on social media. But yeah, I think a lot of it's just because, you know, most athletes, you know, we work hard, we're raised right. I think vastly most conservatives grew up playing outside, rough and tough and out hunting and playing and working out and playing sports. And we took our schooling seriously, mm -hmm. not to say we're stupid, but we did, that wasn't like, we weren't you know, bookworms and listening to teachers and listening to media and, and being indoctrinated by t television mm -hmm. and society. I think that's another thing, predictive programming, kids watching all these crazy cartoons nowadays and things, yeah. that, you know, that's, that's subconsciously getting in their head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's a big thing. It's a good question, to be quite honest with you. And I've given it a lot of thought. I can't give you a for sure answer, but that's my theory. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I just, I'm always curious about that because... We're, we see so much judgment when it comes to someone even being moderate nowadays. Like if you are not like way left of center, then you're the enemy and you're this terrible person. But then you have to look at these people that have like an innate sense of duty. Like it takes a very, very brave and specific type of person to sign up for the military or to sign up to be a police officer. And most of them tend to be conservative. So how are we going to demonize these people that are literally risking their lives for your freedoms. Like we can't say they're all bad. So there's something there. I'm sure someone's probably done a study, but I just wanted to get your, your take on it. Cause I think it's so interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. As, as athletes, especially, I, I know this, you know, and I, and I, I've tweeted this out before and people are like, Oh, bullshit. No way. I would say more baseball than anything. I can't speak for NFL or NBA cause I know that this would not be the right number, mm -hmm. but I would say baseball players, I'd say 85, 90% of baseball players are conservative. That's and so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you, if you think about baseball, baseball, you know, is a Southern sport. It's played in the spring when it's got to be warmer. It's a little cool in the North. So you don't have a lot of like people up North is, you know, you tend to get more liberal up in the Northern mm -hmm. States. Right. So you don't have a lot of baseball up there. Mm -hmm. Most baseball is Arizona, Florida, Texas, you know, the Southern States and, you know, all the Southern States, you know, most kids playing baseball are raised in that conservative arena. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of my theory on that. And, you know, when you're playing football, you play football in the winter, that's up in the Northern States, you know, uh, mm -hmm. basketball, same thing, played in the winter, could play played anywhere. So I just kind of feel like how you're growing up and when your sport is played during the season kind of dictates how you grew up. That's about as good a theory as any, I think. Do your boys play sports? Okay. So they're kind of X game sporters, which, okay. drives, which drives me fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> 
obviously I grew up in Texas and I, I live in Southern California now and people are like, how the fuck do you still live there? I'm like, unfortunately I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I can't leave. I got split custody with my boys and my ex loves it here. Uh, yeah. But I guess it's, it's easy to love living here when you're getting paid $20,000 a month in alimony. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm stuck here, but that's okay. I mean, there's worse places to be stuck. So they like surfing. Well, my oldest likes surfing. My youngest likes boxing, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get my youngest into baseball more because he's got my, he throws right, he hits left, he's got it. He's got mm-hmm. that swing where I know he's 10 years old. I know he's got the swing to, to have a chance mm-hmm. if he, if he wants it. Right. Mm-hmm. But the challenge today with kids is, do you have kids? Yeah, I have one. He actually turns one this week. Oh, congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. So he's a Sagittarius baby. Yeah. Oh, I love that you know that you're a Zodiac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a Sagittarius myself. So oh, I really? December 20th. It's, it's coming up. I'll be 44 in nine days. Well, happy early birthday. Uh, thank you. What was I talking about? That he's set up to have a chance at baseball if he wants it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The challenge is getting these kids off technology nowadays, right? Like, mm-hmm. every, there's so many distractions out there, video games, et cetera. Now, I'm no video game Nazi, but I, I've had to realize how to battle this, right? And, and I think as a, you know, a one-year-old, mm-hmm. and I tell people this all the time, here's a great way to handle it. Say they're on iPads, right? Or whatever their devices are. An iPad typically lasts four hours, possibly okay. five hours on a full charge. You charge it all week, right? You charge it on a Sunday. It's got 100% power. You give them that iPad or whatever device it is they want. Okay, you got about five hours on this device throughout the week. You can play all five hours right now, or you can space it out throughout the week. Now, the first week they had it, they burned it out within the first <laughs> day, right? Uh-huh. And then after a while, after, after a while, they started realizing, wait, I can only play a certain amount of time or I'm going to get screwed tomorrow. So they'll only play like 20 minutes at a time on an iPad. Throughout mm-hmm. the, you know, And then before you know it, they've got it to, down to where they're only playing like 25, 30 minutes a day. And they know exactly how many, how long they can play throughout the day, which is, it's worked out great. That's pretty brilliant because it's not like completely taking, like you're understanding like this thing exists and you can't completely get rid of it. And it gives them responsibility to understand how to, to dictate their time and to mm-hmm. use these things responsibly. Now, don't get me wrong. There's certainly times as a single dad when I got two boys, 12 and 10, where they're driving me batshit crazy. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Go downstairs. I don't care for three hours. I don't care. I just need my... I'm going to take in a nice movie, a bottle of wine. You guys go play your video games. Mm-hmm. See you later. And they're like, yay! <laughs> Certainly there's times for that. And right. I'm okay with that. But you, you got to stay sane somehow, some way. Yeah. I was going to ask why you were still in California because it just didn't make sense, but that all adds up. So I know you earlier you mentioned like you are homeschooling. Is that just because of sh- like lockdowns? Yeah. So my ex and I, yeah, we get along great. Actually, we're great with scheduling. We're very civil. So that's great. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to homeschool them mm-hmm. one year just, just to try it, mm-hmm. um, especially the way public school systems are now. <clears throat> especially in California. 100%. And so I figured this year, what better year to do it? Because we, we had the chance to put them back in school. Everything was starting to open up again, you know, and we're thinking, oh, they're going to have public school. I was like, no way. 
I saw was coming, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to kick back up in December. Schools are going to close down again. We're going to pay all this money for private school to put them in. And then we're going to be learning from home, still paying $12,000 a month. Right. So I'm like, Let's just go ahead and homeschool. So we're homeschool. We got a tutor that comes by every day for three hours. They, they knock their work out in three hours. So from nine to 12, they're done. Wow. And then we have the rest of the day to hang out. And what's cool is like, I can take them on a trip. Mm-hmm. Anytime I want, just hop in the truck. We'll go on a trip. They can learn. They can do their tutoring online, FaceTime with their tutor or if they have a question, or they can just do it on their own. It's it's really simple. Even I can do it if I wanted to, but I can't be a dad and be a teacher at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Not for me anyway. I don't have that kind of patience. No, I don't think I would either. We go back and forth with the education stuff. So it's nowhere near as like radical as it is out there. So I guess like, how how old are they? They're 12 and 10. So one of my girlfriends lives actually pretty close by to you. She was explaining some of the stuff that she has to have the, her kid go to. Like One of them was like the sex ed. And it was pretty wild. I think it was in sixth grade. I don't know how old they are in sixth grade. 12. 12? Yeah. So in sixth grade, they were having their sex ed class. And if you didn't like have your kid, like a reason um, for pulling them, like you could get fined. But what they were teaching them is... Like alternatives to sex include, and they start like listing toys and they listed anal sex for a kid. And I'm like, this is so crazy because I didn't even know that was an option until like college, right? Like I didn't know that there was other things that we could do, but you know what I mean? Like I was just very, I guess, naive or innocent, whatever it was. But I'm like, that is way too young. And that's so dangerous. It's like the easiest way to get an STD. You can get seriously injured. Why are we teaching that. And then that's what the state is saying is appropriate. So I guess as someone who's conservative or moderate or just recognizes that this isn't appropriate, how do you handle issues in the school system with two boys? You know, it's funny, Candice. I mean, when I was my oldest son's age, 12 years old, I was trying to figure out how to tuck my heart on into my belt buckle, right? That's, that, was, that, that, that. That, 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 that was the biggest problem I have. I have <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, was, that was the biggest sexual thing we all had to worry about as young boys. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. And what they have to deal with now. So right now, thankfully, where I live, we haven't had that issue yet. We, okay. we haven't heard about any sex ed in our, in our kids' classes, et cetera. Next year, he goes to junior high school in a different school. So that may be a, a different story. I'll have to find out. I, I know there's a lot of influence in public school systems, but I also believe that if you're well in tune into your child's life as a parent, you can kind of eradicate all that bullshit when they come home, mm-hmm. right? What did you learn in school today? You can tell them what's nonsense, what's not. And I'm always feeding them my my views, right? But I also tell them, you know, I want you, does this make sense to you? What did what I say make sense to you? Does it feel good in your gut? Does it feel good in your spirit and your heart? If it does, believe it. If it doesn't, kick it out. So, you know, they'll come home with some things that they say at school. I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that makes sense or it doesn't. So, you know, I think um, you got to be really wary, especially in the, pro- in the public school system, what your kids are learning, mm-hmm. what their teachers are saying. And what's been really cool about this online learning is you've seen some of these videos of these teachers, like, parents catching them talking yeah. about trying to indoctrinate their kids into this liberal bullshit, talking trash about Donald Trump and trying to really spew their political ideologies onto their children. And so that's been kind of eye opening over the last year or two. Yeah. 
you're going to start seeing more parents like get involved. Like I was talking to Gad Sad, he was just on the podcast and he was saying with one of his kids, he noticed that like their little avatar, like they had something in the background that was all BLM while she was teaching. And he immediately emailed like the superintendent or the principal and he was like, this is why it's inappropriate for teachers to express their political views. Like that's just not their role. So I think we're just seeing a lot of bleed over as to like them trying to take what are traditional parenting roles and like stances and like they're trying to fill those spots, which is really inappropriate, I think. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I did want to mention you talk a lot about like your gut and instincts and that being kind of like a spiritual cue, which I think is so interesting because I've only ever heard one other person say that. And I totally agree. I think when you have like that gut reaction or like your like intuition is telling you like this is wrong this is right it's whether you want to call it god or the universe everyone has like a different name it's like telling you like ding 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 you're like on the right path or like no you need to nudge over and so many people don't pay attention to that or think that it's like very woo woo so what like when did you start making that connection because i like again i've never heard anyone else say that except for one person so i thought that was really interesting I don't know. I, I was never like a, a, a book smart kid. I was a, I was an ABC student and I always tell my kids get A's in what you're good at and pass what you're not. And that's kind of how I grew up as a kid. I was terrible at math. I barely got by. I passed. I was awesome in reading English and, and writing and, and spelling, ironically enough. I, but you know, there was subjects I certainly struggled in, but I passed, right? I was well-rounded and I have, a, a, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it, this really good common sense, right? I, my, I say I got common sense, not so much book smarts. And I have a really good ability to read people and understand people. And, you know, uh, especially when I'm face to face, I was really good in the clubhouse with each particular teammate on how to interact with them and treat them to get the best out of them. You know, and I think some of the greatest managers have that too, where they can look at a player and, you know, some guys need to be cuddled to get the best out of them. So many need to get their ass chewed out and, and mm-hmm. to, to get the best out of them. I needed to be chewed out to get to be the best out of me. But I've always been very good at, at being able to read people and, and just have this, this gut feeling. I call it common sense. And I don't feel like the world has any common sense anymore. I always tell my boys, I would rather you guys be able to look somebody in the eye, shake their hand be conversational, be charismatic, be personable, and make a 2.4 in college and be able to look your CEO or your boss in the eye when you come in for an interview, be magnetic, be engaging, be fun, be confident, Mm -hmm. than to be this nerdy little fucker coming out of Harvard that goes in with his 4.4 GPA and goes into an office, you know, to a CEO, do an interview with it. Well, yes, sir. I'm very qualified. Uh They can't even look you in the eye. They have no personal skills. They're on a computer all day. They have no idea how to be personable. Mm -hmm. So especially in today's society, go fuck your GPA (laughs) and your, and your diploma, all these things. I don't think it's, I I think it's irrelevant, you know, anymore, especially in colleges with all the way they're indoctrinating our kids in colleges. It's it, to me, it seems like we're starting to kind of level into that world where we're all going to be working remotely and from home and, that's one thing I think we've learned throughout this last year is a lot of businesses realize that we can work from home. You can do meetings from home. You don't need to be in front of people all the time. And, and I think that's kind of dangerous in a way, but that's going to be the world we live in. And I think those kids 
well, not going to be few and far between being able to be personable because we're relying so much on technology today. So that's for me, just raising my kids to, to know how to be human in a world full of technology. That's, that's for me, one of my biggest things. I think that's a great place to end. That's like a very great, very wise lesson for people to take home. The wise um, Huff Daddy. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm no, nobody ever called me wise. <laughs> I think that, I think you're, you say some very wise things. So do you want to tell the listeners where they can follow you and how they can keep up to date with all of your future endeavors? Yeah. If you can find me on Instagram, <laughs> it's, H, it's Huff Daddy 76. And my Twitter is Aubrey underscore Huff. And I'm actually coming out with a t-shirt line and apparel line called Alpha American Apparel. And it's going to be very patriotic, very pro-America, kind of funny sayings on t-shirts, hats, etc. And that's going to be AubreyHuff.com. And that's coming out here in the next probably couple weeks or so. So that'll be fun too. Awesome. Very exciting stuff. Well, thank you again. I appreciate you giving me your time this morning and hopefully we can do this again. Absolutely, Candice. Very nice meeting you. You too. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have the time, please rate and review and you can always hit subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. I hope to have you back.